Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I think I'm going to have a little bit of a rant. I've got a few things on my mind about the Walt Disney Company that I want to talk about, so I think it's worth spending a little time kind of going over it. Now, to be fair, I haven't been to Disney World since December of 2019, and I don't think I'm going to make it back until at least January of 2022, so I haven't been there in a while. So I, some of the things that I'm going to talk about are not directly from anything that I've done myself where I've been involved. It's more from things I've been still been watching, you know, people doing their videos and reading some blogs and listening to podcasts and so forth at times. You know, periodically, periodically I pick these things up and just kind of go through them. So there's some of that in there. And I want to make sure that I'm, you know, couching this just a little bit that, you know, whatever I say, I haven't experienced firsthand yet. But it makes me wonder a little bit. So let's start off a little bit back when the last meeting happened where Bob Iger yielded control to Bob Chapek. There was a board of directors meeting. Now, Iger remains the chairman of the board, so he's still involved with the Disney company. But in seating the whole CEO role and basically leading all the future meetings of the, of the board, uh, Iger stood up and said, hey, I'm leaving, you know, I'm going to leave this legacy and Bob Chapek is taking over. Now, what I'd like to remind everyone about is that Disney is essentially an entertainment company and we're here to do different things and we're on top of all these different uh, businesses and we're doing all these interesting things and we need to remember that. And insiders said that was like a clear message to Bob Chapek that don't, you know, don't go rocking the ship. We're making money. We're doing well. Don't try to change things too much that way. And of course, Chapek got up afterwards and said, well, we're a data-driven company and, you know, went back to his standby lines about yield and maximizing profits and doing all these things about learnings and, you know, trying to grow the company and grow the brand in some way. The contrast is kind of stark. It's very different the way the two individuals think about the company. You can, cl- you can clearly see a distinction in there. And Chapek went on and did some interviews over the last few weeks, last few months, I guess, where he was talking about different things in the company, and he talked about how they want to compete with Universal. And it's, it's so strange to hear someone say that, the CEO of the Walt Disney Company, talking about competing with Universal. Rather than saying, we're better than Universal, they can catch up to us, he said, we're competing with them, which is kind of, always kind of weird. I remember back when I was a cast member, there was a couple of things that were happening because Universal had recently opened when I got there, and they were flying banners around Disney World, and I remember asking one of the more senior cast members who'd been there since park opening about it, and she said, you know, bring on the competition. It's good to have competition, but we're still better. We will always be better. 
And I thought, wow, that's really it, isn't it? That's the Disney philosophy right there, that you're better, you're great, you're wonderful. And then you hear Chapek saying, yeah, we're competing with Universal. Well, now you're not saying that you're better. You're saying you're as good as, or you want to be something. And then he started talking about intellectual property and how we want to make sure that we're using our intellectual property properly and we're, we're identifying it through the parks and it's coming through. So you see all these changes happening, the Moana theme over at the Polynesian and the Incredibles theme at the Contemporary and you know, remaking all these things to include the intellectual property very extensively throughout the parks. Rather than being about something novel or a concept or a thing, it's about intellectual property. And then he made some offhanded comment about you know, we have it all, we should be using it, and other parks would too. Again, back to why are we Disney like other parks? It's kind of a strange thing to say, and it's just sort of a weird sort of feeling there that things are sort of evolving in a way that doesn't make sense. And then talking about data and being a data company, well, I remember him talking about the whole thing about streaming and not streaming and going to movie theaters and not going to movie theaters when he talked about the, uh, the movie releases. And he talked about each thing being a data point. He wanted data points. And then he got up and he talked about the Genie app and he was talking about the data we have and understanding the guest behaviors and this and that and the other thing. And it just strikes me that it's a little different in terms of the way it kind of comes together. It's sort of a different philosophy on the world. And then you look at some of the newer things that they've been doing, some of the new attractions that they put in, the way they've sort of rethought their queuing, and I'll get back to that in just a minute, so the queues you go through don't have that heavy theme that you expect from Disney. You have this immersive storytelling that Walt Disney was always very fond of. You would go in and be in a movie set. You have the opportunity to really immerse someone in the storyline. And so Walt Disney was always very big on making sure that he told the story before you got onto the ride, onto, into the attraction. So there was always this sort of immersive, deep theming that went on in these attractions. If you look at the Pirate's Cavern at the Pirates of the Caribbean or the, uh, the, some of the other attractions where you have these very deep stories that you're telling before you even get on the ride, you're telling a story, right? You're getting people engaged in the storyline. These are pirates. This is something happening. We're, at the, we're in this fort. You know, interesting things are there. We have cannons and there's, um, there's barrels of, uh, of, of, of uh, mead or whatever. You know, all this, these different things that are there that are part of the story and you're, you're gearing up for something. So you're immersing people in the storyline. The pirate's playing chess down in the, uh, in the bottom level where you're looking down at them and they both become skeletons. What's the story there? There's something deep and you have to think about it a little bit. And then they come along with Fast Pass and they go, okay, we're going to put the Fast Pass line going by the pirates playing chess and by some of the other stuff so that the storyline is lost. Oops, you know, you kind of missed something there. And now you hear about all these other pieces of storyline that are not being told. And with the whole idea of the lightning lanes now replacing Fast Pass, you see that storyline kind of being taken away because people are just being challenged to go in and see the, see the attraction rather than being immersed in it before they get there. So there's no pre-storytelling that goes on and then you get to the end and you're dumped into a gift shop well that didn't change so much but it's sort of that you know intellectual property in your face now oh let's see what other things we can sell that are related to this attraction even if there's no specific disney character that's related to this attraction maybe we could somehow sell intellectual property that's somehow related so it's just kind of strange how that's all kind of evolved out now thinking about the whole idea of genie plus Genie, Genie Plus, the Lightning Lanes, all of that stuff. So I heard that they were going to roll it out, and I was like, okay, I'm kind of intrigued. I want to see how it works out. And so I 
watched a couple people's videos the first couple of days. And I wouldn't say that the, <laughs> that the basic uh, idea was met with great success. I think there was a lot of frustration and I think a lot of people were basically saying, I'm not really a fan early on. And I'm not saying that it was all bad. It was just, there seemed to be some negativity around it because people were going, what, what is this? So after a day or two, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to look at the, uh, the Genie app and I'm going to see what, what it is. And the first thing I noticed, I was like, so where is the Genie app? I had a moment, you know, just being somebody who hasn't been there in a while. I was like, is there a new app they created? And I couldn't find it in the app store. Well, okay. So I went to the Disney mobile app that they've had, the Disney Parks app that they've had for a while. And sure enough, it's part of that. So the first time I went to it was at night. It was at like, I don't know, 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So the parks were all closed at that point. So the app itself had no things I could do. It was basically just an app that was telling me about uh, going to the parks and I can link my tickets and I can do this and I can do that. And there was no information in there. There was nothing about Genie in there. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. Am I in the right app? Am I, did I not update it? Is something else going on here? I was like, well, maybe it's a fact of, you know, they only have it active when you actually can use it in the parks. Okay. So the next morning I opened it back up when it was uh, during park hours. And I noticed that the, the view was different. There was more information there. So I wanted to see a little bit more about the Genie app. Well, I clicked through a couple of times and I have to admit, I was really, really confused by the whole thing when I got started. I'm like, wait, where do I click? What do I do? How do I get, what, what is this? And you know, they're telling you, well, you have to have your park reservation and your park ticket in order to use the Genie app. And you have to be able to do this, this, and, and it was, I found it to be a convoluted mess. Look, I develop apps. I do things, you know, I'm a fairly technical person. I do a lot of things, but I was confused by it. And I'm a longtime Disney fan. I'm a 50 year fan of the Walt Disney World uh, Resort. And I couldn't figure out where to start. And I was like, okay. Then I kind of pieced it together and figured out how to start. And I got to a certain point and it was like, I realized that I couldn't really look at the app because I didn't have valid park media and I didn't have a uh, park reservation. So I couldn't do much with it. And I'm like, well, okay, so <laughs> this is kind of weird and pointless in a way. I mean, I understand the general nature of that. I get it, but why can't I see some things in there to at least understand what it is before I make my reservation? Because maybe I'd want to use it when I go the next time and I'd like to know a little bit more about it and I'd like to share it with you guys. So it was kind of weird that I couldn't quite figure it out what to do with it or how to get into it. So I was like, all right, fine. I can't get into it. I'll just watch, you know, I'll continue to watch videos about it and see, other, see what other people are doing. And then it became clear that the idea for this whole uh, app is that you, you basically have the choice of using uh, nothing and going 100% old school. Put your phone in your pocket, forget about it, and just walk around the park and find the things you want to find, do what you want to do, wait in standby lines, just as it would have been like in the 1980s. You know, basically run it that way. And that's one way you could do it. And that's in all likelihood, how I'm going to do it. But there's also the possibility that you could use the Genie app to help you figure out, so you go to the Disney Parks app, then you go to the Genie part, and you figure out where you can go, you know, suggestions on what the wait times are, and suggestions on maybe the, the places to go now versus in an hour from now, so that, you know, maybe you have some lower wait times as you're going through there. Uh, so you could possibly use it that way to kind of augment your experience a little bit. They do have sort of the tip board in a virtual sense 
within your phone so you can see where, you know, what's got long wait times and what doesn't. Okay, you know, I might actually use that a little bit to kind of understand how it's working. I might even do a little, you can, you can plan some of your dining reservations and you can do mobile ordering that way too. So perhaps I'll do that, though I'm still more likely to go in and order in real time and actually if I have to go to a kiosk instead of a person, that's fine, but I'm more likely to do that than I am to mobile order, generally. Again, that might change when I actually go. I'm just not sure about that yet. So I look at it and I go, okay, that's, that's the other way. Um, then you have Genie Plus. Genie Plus allows you guaranteed, in quotes, access to some number of attractions if you, want, if you want to make sure you get on them. It's not every attraction. It's a fair number of them, though, but it guarantees you access to them. So you spend $20 per person per day to be able to have guaranteed access to very specific attractions, and it will guide you around the park in sort of a way that makes sense. Okay. You know, it's sort of an expensive proposition to be able to get to some attractions, but it doesn't include the really, what I would call e-ticket attractions. So it doesn't include Rise of the Resistance, Remy's Ratatouille Adventure. I think the uh, Flight of Passage wasn't on there, a couple of others as well. And those, you have to either go and do the standby or you purchase an individual ride and those attractions using Lightning Lane. Now, how much that costs you? Well, <laughs> that's a little bit variable. So it may cost you as little as $8. It may cost you as much as, I don't know what the upper limit is. They've just started rolling this out and that they're tweaking it and they've already talked about some potential increase in price. So it could be fairly expensive, could be like $20 per ride. And there are limits on it. You can only ride it one, each of those attractions once. You buy it and then you go on it and you know whatever time it is. There's some oddities in terms of you're paying for it in real time, you select it. And I watched people do it in the video and I have to admit, again, I was a little confused by how it works because it's until you understand that these specific attractions are different and have to be purchased separately and you have to go, oh, I wanna to go to the Lightning Lane and it's available at this time and I'll tap it and I'll have my credit card already stored on file and I'll say, okay, and then it'll give me a return time. And then you go back and you, you go in that return time and you go, go ride that particular attraction. Now, there were some oddities that were happening the first couple of days where they were telling you it's subject to availability. So if in fact the ride broke down or you couldn't go on it for some reason, you were out that money. You couldn't get a refund. Now, they were go telling people that they could go to guest services and get the refund, but then you had to wait in line for half an hour or something to get your 15 bucks back. It just, the whole thing just seemed very strange. There's not an automated way to do this. And I think the cast members, from what I gathered, were a little confused too by how it all worked and were trying to be accommodating, but they couldn't like accommodate everybody. And they had to change, that Disney actually changed the rules about uh, the re return rides. You know, so the ride broke down while you're on it. You can wait here and get the next ride or we can rebook you later in the day, that kind of a thing. But if you leave, you're out of luck. So it's kind of a weird sort of, Thing that's happening. They're still trying to figure it out. No, to be fair, they're still tweaking it and they're learning from it and they're trying to roll it out and be more efficient with it. And that's great. That part is really good. But what I've also noticed is uh, they're tilting the scales even further to people that are staying at the Disney resorts. And I would presume that it's sort of hierarchical within the resorts that more offerings are made to people who are the high, higher, value, higher value customers, people who are staying in DVC or staying at the deluxe resorts, that kind of thing, down to the people who are staying at the value resorts. I think 
they've all reopened now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, maybe some of them have and some of them haven't. I'm not absolutely sure about that. But anyway, you know, if you look down the list, it seems like that's all happening. So if you're staying at a Disney resort, you can start planning your day in the Genie app at 7 a.m. the day of, that you're going to the park. So you, the parks generally open at 9, so you have two hours to basically plan your day to get in. Now, the thing is, these Lightning Lane reservations, especially for like Rise of the Resistance, have to be booked at 7 a.m. By 7.15, they're basically gone. They're just, they, they have no more for the day. Now, throughout, what they've been doing is like adding more throughout the morning to just kind of retweak it. So if somebody doesn't get on at seven and they get on at 7.30, they have a good chance of getting some. So you kind of have to stay with it, but then you have to stay on top of your app the whole time. You have to be doing all these things to try to figure it out. And you're kind of planning your day before you get there, right? It's sort of a weird thing. And what's been happening beyond that is by nine o'clock in the morning, when they open it up to people who are not staying at a Disney resort, they're all gone. All these Lightning Lane prepaid things are gone. So if you want to ride Rise of the Resistance, for example, if you don't have, if you're not staying on Disney property, there's pretty much no chance that you're going to get a Lightning Lane that you'll be even offered the opportunity to pay the $15, even if you want to pay it. You can't pay it to get in. So you're stuck and you have to go with standby. Now, currently the standby lines are back to many hours in line trying to get into this attraction and several of the other ones as well. So it's kind of a crazy thing. It's like, okay, well, I want to ride Rise of the Resistance, but the only way I can do it is to get the stand, go in standby. Looks like they're going to add the virtual queue back at some point. So you basically go up to the ride and you leave um, with a sort of a return time. You know, it's like, okay, the queue is two hours long and we're going to give you a, a re, you know, we're going to hold your place in line. We'll just put it in your app and then you'll come back later. So it looks like that's going to happen, though it hasn't happened yet. But it's all very strange and kind of confusing and weird. And it's, I know it's going to take some getting used to and it's going to take a lot of tweaking. But it's really interesting. And then you have the, uh, the whole park reservation system where you have to pick the days you're going to go in and which park you're going to go to. And the fact that you may be going to, let's say, the Magic Kingdom in the morning and want to go over to the Animal Kingdom in the afternoon means that you're kind of tripped up and you can't really buy the Lightning Lane even if you want to buy the Lightning Lane because of the way the system works. In fact, you're not going to that park first. It's weird. And because you have to do the park reservations, that has to be tied to your account. And it's, you know, you're basically stuck using your phone uh, to do everything. And it's just kind of weird. You know, I'm, I remember the last time I went, one of my observations as I was walking through the park was how many people had their noses buried in their phones throughout the day. I'd look around and I'd see people with their noses buried in their phones. And now you're taking that to the next level because now you're telling people that the Genie app is going to guide you around the park. It's going to suggest to you where do you go, how do you go, when do you go, all these things. When do you eat, where are you going to eat? And it's going to be reminding you. And then it has this augmented reality pieces that it's doing or these little pieces where it's telling you about a little piece of Disney trivia and so forth. And it's giving you something in there, so I've seen in the app so far, where it's going through and it's giving you something so you're more engaged with your phone than with the park and with your family and with the things that you're supposed to be doing to enjoy yourself. So I find that kind of interesting. I'm just like, wow, I, I don't know where this all nets out and I don't know where how I feel about it yet. I guess I won't know until I actually go and try it. I'm not willing to spend $15 or so to ride an attraction. That's just not how I roll. It's, I, I don't know. I'm already spending some amount of money to go into the park, 
some amount of money to park my car, and I'm not really interested in spending more money just to ride one attraction that lasts a maximum of about 12 or 13 minutes, really. You know, I just don't, I don't see the value in it personally. And I understand if you do and you want to do it, uh, more power to you. But it just strikes me that it's kind of one of those things where I'm, I'm like, I'm not sure that I'm up for this. I'm not sure this is what I signed up for exactly. So we'll see when I actually get there. But it's kind of weird because as I look at Disney and some of the decisions they're making, it just feels very strange to me. And by the way, something that I noticed, it hasn't happened at Disney World yet because Disney World's capacity is really pretty great. There's a lot of people that can go. I did notice at Disneyland, the park availability is kind of strange. And if you're an annual pass holder, you're restricted on the days you can go in based on the fact that they want to let people who are buying tickets, actual tickets on that day, have more availability than you have as an annual pass holder. So you're kind of limited by the number of days you can go in just because you own an annual pass. So the value isn't there. Now, that hasn't, as I said, that hasn't hit Disney World yet. Disneyland has a lower capacity in general, but it's kind of a weird mix of things that's happening. They're alienating people in Disneyland that I don't think they intentionally want to alienate, but they want to put the value on the higher paying customers, people who are willing to go in and spend the $120 or whatever per day to go in the park, rather than the people that wanted to spend uh, whatever $1,300 on an annual pass, right? It's kind of a strange thing that they do because Disneyland was always for the locals. People could come there from anywhere, of course, but it was really geared toward the idea that Walt Disney had that daddy could take his daughters to a park for the day and just enjoy themselves. That was kind of the intent. So the annual passes made sense because you could just keep going back. And if you bought a ticket, you could go in and enjoy yourself. But again, now they're trying to tip it to, well, if you bought the ticket, you should have more experience than people who go all the time. I get it, but it doesn't really add up for me. So there's something sort of odd going on there. And this is why I'm not, you listen to the tone of my voice, I'm not really ranting, but I have some strong opinions about this that I can't quite figure out where it's going to go, how it's going to net out, and where Disney is going to come out in all of this. People are willing to pay it. So it's going to continue to go this way. I don't see the park reservations going anywhere. I don't see the uh, genie going anywhere. I don't see the lightning lane going anywhere. This is going to be what it's going to be going forward. And they will tweak it to their advantage and make sure that people get uh, pay the most and get the best experience for that amount that they're paying. But it's just going to have to work out that way. Anyway, that's just my thought. Kind of some of the things I was thinking about as I looked at the whole genie plus app and some of the things that were going on. It's kind of weird and, as I said, very confusing and I can't wait, haha, to try it to see how I feel about it. By then, maybe they will have ironed out a lot of these kinks and it might be easier, better, simpler. I'm not sure. But for now, I just have to kind of look at it and kind of, you know, cock my head to one side and give a quizzical look and say, huh? Anyway, that's my take on it for now. One little spark of inspiration is at the heart (laughs) of all creation. Right at the start of everything that's new. One little spark lights up for you. For my One Little Spark segment today, I wanted to spend a couple of minutes talking about one particular passage in the U.S. Constitution. And that passage reads, A well-regulated militia, comma, being necessary to the security of a free state, comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, comma, shall not be infringed. What that actually means, I think, is up to a lot of interpretation. There's a lot of commas in there that I called out, and you can kind of get the sense of this was sort of a cobbled together statement to make a point. 
And there's a lot of discussion about what exactly it was intended for. The Founding Fathers really didn't tell us what it meant. So what I'd like to do today is spend a couple of minutes talking about the Second Amendment. The first part is to kind of break it apart and talk about how this is rooted in the idea of social justice. It seems that the Founding Fathers were trying to appease the Southern states in some way. They had the Three-Fifths Compromise where black people were counted in a different way than white people in terms of uh, population. There are some originalist documents that suggest that this Second Amendment may have been related to something uh, in slavery. Now, to put that in context, in 1788, Patrick Henry, who was the governor of Virginia at the time, was at the Virginia Ratifying Convention. One of the things that he said was, if the country be invaded, a state may go to war, but cannot suppress insurrections. If there should happen to be insur insurrection of slaves, the country cannot be said to be invaded. They cannot therefore suppress it without the interposition of Congress. Congress, and Congress only, can call forth a militia. And James Madison went to the lengths of trying to revise the amendment slightly, that state security curtailing the federal government's powers over the state militias, while leaving room for those states to enact individual restrictions on gun possession, might have been part of it as well. In context, the idea is that Southern whites would often use militias to keep the slave population from having an uprising and making sure that they captured escaped slaves. So this was part of the whole thing that was going on in the South. This specific amendment might have been geared to making sure that the militias were able to continue doing exactly what they had been doing in the past. Now, we don't know that, of course. We can't know exactly what they had in mind. That's part of the problem here. Of course, this could be simply about allowing people to keep arms in the event that, say, Britain were to try and take over the United States again. Although, on the other hand, if you look at the fact that we provided for a common defense and we're building a standing army, that probably isn't likely. But I'll, get, I'll grant you it's a possibility. So it's just an interesting notion that we have these things out there and we have to consider what it all means. Now, the second thing I wanted to do was talk about the Constitution itself. The Founding Fathers did a pretty good job of setting a foundation that has served us well for 200 and almost 50 years now. But the reality is that the Constitution itself always needs to be interpreted and sort of updated to a point, at least in our thinking, to reflect the times that we're living in. And I'll point you to the example of the Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, who in the late 1800s was serving on the Supreme Court. And to that point, the Supreme Court had always argued that the First Amendment and the right to freedom of speech was limited and that government had the right to curtail that free speech because of nationalist pride and some other things that were going on. It just had to do with making sure that we were keeping ourselves in check. And the Supreme Court universally ruled on that over time. And then at some point, Holmes had some interesting things that happened to him that caused him to rethink that sort of strategy. And over time, he started voting against the ability of the government to restrict free speech. And it took him some time, but he eventually convinced the justices to sort of change their mindset about it. And free speech became something that we started to think about more and more. And we have the rights and free speech we have today as a result of primarily him influencing and changing the direction of the Supreme Court and reinterpreting the Constitution to a point. He wrote a very interesting dissenting opinion uh, on one particular case that I'll link, put a link to in my show notes page so you can kind of read through it if you like. But it was kind of interesting because he was thinking about the Constitution as being an experiment, the, an experiment in democracy and setting something up. And we always have to be living it and breathing it and interpreting it in some way. It can't just be a static document in that sense. So I found that really interesting, and if we take that same philosophy and apply it to the Second Amendment as well, 
there's the potential that we could actually change the way we think about it. I think there's a lot of opportunity to have a national discussion and talk about this. And and to be honest, I think there's going to be a race part of this that's going to be included in the discussion that's not that will not be comfortable for some people. And unfortunately, that's just the way it's going to have to go. We're going to have to have this discussion sooner rather than later. It's time to think about what the Second Amendment actually means. If we take away some of the emotion, some of the money, and some of the politics and have an honest discussion about what it means and where we go, I think we can come to a better place in terms of guns, gun safety, and to a point, social justice, because this is a part of the discussion. And that's all I wanted to say about that. I hope you take a moment to just give a little thought to what the Second Amendment means. Anyway, that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 